Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. Well, I hope you guys are ready for a uh, gruesome murder and some exorcism, which we were talking about before the show started, and we don't think we've done a case with uh, an exorcism of a person. Only right. Holmes, which we've done the the, uh, the the Hex House case, and we did the Amityville Horror, which we believe in the Amityville Horror, they brought in an, uh, an exorcist to, to you know try and exercise the house and, right, and right. rid of the demons, but... Doing exorcism of a person is so much more fun, and so many things can go wrong, as we find out in this episode. And, and there's been so many exorcisms throughout history, and a lot of people think, you know, this is this is medieval times, or this is early 1900s, and no, exorcisms have been going on, still going, uh, still going on, and there's yeah. there's been horrible deaths caused by exorcisms even in the early 2000s, and and probably even up to now that we just don't even know about. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that we haven't covered any of these, right? Oh my gosh! And, but uh, I don't. I don't think we've ever covered one where the exorcism was the blame of the murder for sure, right? Seems <laughs> that like, way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've ever studied a case where the exorcism was to blame, or the people who performed the exorcism were partly to blame. Which you see some of that in this case. These priests, man, like they really not finishing the job here. I don't know if they needed to take a break, you know. Have some coffee, a Gatorade, something. Yeah. Get well, the thing done. You got to exercise all the demons. You can't leave a few out, leave. and especially <laughs> the most important ones. You really can't leave those. You got to get rid of those ones. But but the problem is when you start looking into exorcisms that were complete, a lot of times the person dies. It's like, well, yeah, I guess they are all gone now. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It, it, they 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 pushed it to a point where they're like, man, if we if we keep this guy in here any longer, he could die of some other means. My question though is like, how do you choose the order on which demons to to exercise first? Because are they just going alphabetical? Like, I feel like they should be prioritized. Like murder, <laughs> madness, those should be murder? like one and two. Yeah, yeah, I think murder and yeah, murder, madness, violence. Yeah, those should be top of the list priority demons to uh, to uh, exercise first. I agree. Right. I agree hundred yeah. percent. We don't see that here. Maybe what did they exercise? Maybe like gluttony, jealousy. Yeah, greed. You know? I, don't, I don't. We can wait on yeah. those. Wait on those. The murder man. one's Every- pretty important. Yeah. Let's, let's, not, go ahead. let's not take a halftime break uh, before we, we exercise murder. Right. Exactly. So Maybe not Maybe not like let them get, have a breather and a snack before we get to that. <laughs> maybe. Let's keep an eye on them. Let's not just send them home. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. Let's get into it. Let's do it, man. Just a fair warning. This episode offers plenty of eye rolls and sideways remarks regarding the validity of demonic possession. Believe you me. But here at True Crime Guys, we don't like to point out problems without offering solutions. So, without further ado, here's a clip from Dr. Hassan Tahid, a neuroscientist and founder of the California Institute of Behavioral Neurosciences and Psychology. So, enjoy. The argument in the favor of demonic possession will be refuted if there is a medical illness in which the patient behaves exactly the same way as Annalise did. Oops, real quick. Sorry to interrupt, guys. Uh, But the Annalise he's referring to is Annalise Michelle, a German woman who underwent 67 exorcism rites in 1976 and ultimately died as a result. She was also the inspiration behind the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And guess what? There is one. The Diagnostic Statistical Manual, DSM-5, by the American Psychiatric Association. 
describes this condition as dissociative identity disorder, DID, previously known as multiple personality disorder. DID is the disruption of identity characterized by two or more distinct personality states that could be described or confused in some cultures as demonic possession. But now we have magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, and we have two kinds of MRIs, structural MRIs and the functional MRIs. With the help of the structural MRI, we can see the structure of the brain, and with the functional MRI, we can look at the functionality of the brain, the activity of the brain. A study was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry on female DID patients. It showed that DID patients had reduced hippocampus and the amygdala region of the brain. There was 19.2% reduction in the hippocampal region and 31.6% reduction in the amygdala region of the brain. The hippocampal region is associated with long-term memory and the amygdala is associated with emotions. This possibly explains that why many DID patients forget one personality while they are under the influence of another personality or why they have dissociative amnesia. And this also explains possibly why they can be overly aggressive. There are many studies, and the time does not permit us to go into the details of all of these studies. Therefore, I will, I will just discuss some interesting cases of DID. A very interesting case was published in 2015 of a German woman who lost her vision at age 20. She had DID with over 10 personalities, and she remained blind for the next 13 years until during one of her psychotherapy sessions, one of her personalities began to see. As the psychotherapy continued, more of her personalities began to see as well. And by the way, this blindness was not fake blindness. This was confirmed on the electrophysiological studies. Another famous or an interesting case was a DID patient with two personalities. One had diabetes, the other personality did not. And the personality that had diabetes, his blood, his blood glucose level used to, uh, used to shoot up under the influence of that personality. And when the other personality took over, the blood glucose level went down. Another interesting case was of the patient, Timmy, who had allergy of orange juice. And when he drank orange juice, his body developed hives. And when the other personality took over, his, his hives disappeared. I myself have observed a very interesting case of DID where this disease was confined to just one limb. This patient had DID in one of his limbs and he believed that it was demonically possessed. He had no control over it and this hand and this, this arm used to hit him himself. He used to hit himself so bad that his face got deformed. He was diagnosed with DID because he met the criteria for DID diagnosis. Now we have the technology and we have the answers to so many questions. We don't have a permanent cure yet. The only mode of treatment we have is psychotherapy. However, we believe that in the future we will be able to find a permanent cure. However, one thing is for sure, that this is a scientific phenomenon. In the end, I would like to say that when something is scientific, we should consider it as scientific.
when something is natural, we should believe it to be natural rather than believing it to be supernatural or paranormal. Well, there you have it, from a real man of science. Again, guys, that's Dr. Hassan Tahid, a neuroscientist and founder of the California Institute of Behavioral Neurosciences and Psychology. And there is a link below the description of this episode to that entire TED Talk. It's definitely worth your time. Now let's get on with the show. All right, for our case this week, we're going back to England, mates. Oh, yes, jolly good, jolly good England. We haven't been there in a while, obviously, because yep. ac our accents still suck. <laughs> People love it. And if you don't, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's still an interesting story. This this is a crazy exorcism. Yeah, and uh, we haven't really touched on exorcisms in the past, especially if people, mostly because we're admittedly skeptical of the supernatural. We, we've talked about that at length in the Amityville yeah. Horror case. We we kind of shit all over the, the concept of there being uh, evil ghosts and right. spirits in the house and all that. Right. Um, and try to make every excuse for what else it could have been. Um, but it, there's no doubt that exorcism are a dangerous undertaking that often result in either the subject or the people around the subject being harmed. So there's crimes that occur due to these, um, due to these exorcisms. And it, it's also hard to take out the, you know, the concept of uh, a person being under a trance during these. I think there's no doubt that hypnotism is real. Oh, um, yes. I, yes. So many people have claimed to have gone under, under people's power and things like that. I think that's part of this is like you well, go into this and you know, also, hypnotic state. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think people who, who get pulled into this already have some type of mental disorder or some type of ailment. And then when mm -hmm. that disorder when that disorder Manifest is brought itself. to light, right, and then you have all these people around you telling you what this thing is, it's mm -hmm. kind of, and then they're, they're yelling and they're, and they're doing Hail Marys and all this, like it's, it just builds up the tension and, and the adrenaline. And you know what I'm saying? Like, it's easy to get caught up in this. Yes. It really is. It's, and if you already have mental issues, you, it just makes it that much more real. You know, now you have all these other people confirming around you that everything that you see and feel is real. It's real. Yeah. And that's how people, I think, get sucked into it. Mm hmm. Yeah. So this week's case is a prime example of an exorcism gone wrong. I want to say thanks to my buddy Joey for the case suggestion this week. Right on. Thanks, um, Joey. I've got some, uh, some information on the history of exorcisms real quick to start this out. This is uh, from lifescience.com, an article about exorcisms. It says, quote, the Vatican first issued official guidelines on exorcism in 1614 and revised them in 1999. According to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, signs of demonic possession include superhuman strength, aversion to holy water, and the ability to speak in unknown languages. Other potential signs of demonic possession include spitting, cursing, and excessive masturbation. So, <laughs> okay. Apparently, I've had some demons all these years. I didn't. I didn't realize. I was about to say, does every every teenage boy have a demon? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> just got to keep exercising those demons. I'm, I'm just trying to get them out. Um, along with a handful of Vatican-sanctioned exorcists, there are hundreds of self-styled exorcists around the world. While most people enjoy a scary movie, belief in, in literal reality of demons and the efficacy of exorcism can have deadly consequences. Yeah, and it might and surprise you. It might surprise you the number of people who do believe in, in exorcisms. You know what I'm saying? 
There's still to yes, this day. yes. They were very popular during the time that we did this case in the in the early to mid seventies, and mm-hmm. also obviously in the dark ages and things like that. But uh, um, they've still they're still you know in little niches around the world. I think they're still occurring. And here's a few examples of ones that have gone wrong. Aside from the case that we're doing today, right? In 2003, an autistic eight year old boy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was killed during an exorcism by church members who blamed the in, blamed an invading demon for his disability. Oh, in 2003. Yeah. Right. 2003 y'all that is sad i I hope that i I didn't look further into this one but i hope there was justice you know as far as whoever was involved in that killing this boy who was simply just autistic oh who knows what they were doing to him you know oh i know because so it reminds me of the times when they used to shock people for being gay and things like that it's crazy a lot of times they would starve people you know what i mean because they think if the if the vessel is weak then the demons will leave so if they'll Mm. they'll They'll make them fast, you know, no food, no water. Um, you're you're chained up or you're tied down or restrained in some way. Try to find a new vessel. Exactly. If if you make this vessel inoperable, then the demon will have to leave. Is is I guess is mm. their thinking. But in the process, you kill people. People can't go days and days and days without food and water. I don't care if they have a demon right. in them or not. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Then in 2005, a young nun in Romania died at the hands of a priest during an exorcism after being bound to a cross, gagged, and left for days without food or water in an effort to expel demons. There you go. Yeah. There you go, right then there. Then on Christmas Day in 2010 in London, England, a 14-year-old boy named Christy Bo- uh, Bamu was beaten and drowned to death by relatives trying to exorcise an evil spirit from the boy. Jesus. And yeah. see, at 14 so years So these are old, examples of, you know, oh of the, the the person having the exorcism done on them being harmed. This case that we're doing today is the opposite. You notice how often it's kids? All three of those cases were young people. I mean, it doesn't say yeah. you didn't, you don't have the nun's age, but it does say a young nun. You know what I mean? And why is it always mm-hmm. an eight-year-old, a 14-year-old, a young nun? Like, this is this is just terrifying, man. It's like almost a reason to... to to get rid of, or there's just inability to deal with these children who are different. Right. <clears throat> and the kids are more likely to believe in whatever the adults are telling them that they do have these demons and need to be exercised as well. Oh, absolutely. Cause they've heard this since birth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So let's get into this week's case. Um, the Osset murder of, of 1974 Quote, of all the incidents in which I was involved in 30 years of police work, nothing affected me like this one. The stupidity and futility of it all and the complete and utter waste of life, destruction of a family, not to mention the death and other traumas are far beyond anything else I've ever come across. That's a quote from retired police constable Ian Walker, who worked the Osset murder case from 1974. Mm. It's one of the more gruesome murders we've ever covered. And I'd always say that a lot, but no, and truly, and like in, when you consider... The, you know the fact that there was no weapon used it's barbaric that was it's primal the, oh. yes yeah it's it's, it's awful. pretty insane it, this will yeah. take you back to medieval times no doubt like it's mm. it's hard to believe someone was killed this way in 1974 such an animalistic murder yes it is absolutely and um, you can see why they thought they had uh pri- like a uh, excessive strength you know, mm-hmm. primal strength, because it's like most people wouldn't be able to do this, but it's not because of the strength. It's just because of the, the catches in your brain. <laughs> it's, you know what I'm saying? It's yep. like the same reason you, you can't, you know, cut off one of your own arms or legs or whatever. It's not that you, you're not strong enough. It's just, you have these, you have these stops. You can't bring yourself you, to do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it was September, 1974. 
and what would be a decades-long fear of ritual satanic worship had begun to wash over Western culture. As we, I mentioned a minute ago, the mid-70s were, you know, a hotbed for occultists and, yeah. uh, and for the uh, exorcisms that were going on. A lot, of the, a lot of this came courtesy of occult experts like Mike Warnke, whose 1972 book, The Satan Seller, made waves of the Christian community with tales of the author's time as a demonic priest, stories that would later be discredited. And I highly recommend checking out last podcast on the left series on Mike Warnke if you want a good laugh and want to learn more about the madness of these times Mm -hmm. um, with the fear of Satan, satanic panic, um, and all of this. So he wrote this book on his own about, it's like an autobiography? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then a lot of it I didn't read that book. Yeah. I didn't read that book, but... uh, he he was he was a bit of a clown. I mean, he was just a, a full full on bold faced liar. Um, oh, okay. And and he made a name for himself in that world. I think he tried a lot of things, and then he just caught on with the whole Satan thing. Um, just good timing. To be a demonic priest and had all these crazy stories that were later found to be lies. And uh, yeah, he's he's an interesting <laughs> dude. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, so there was that, and then there was the classic film, The Exorcist, of course, that came out in 1973. Oh, of course. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, That this is, this is like the beginning. This is like priming everybody for that 80s satanic panic, isn't it? This is just yep. right, yeah, this is like the start of the climb of all this shit mm-hmm. becoming popular and people just going, losing their minds over the satanic panic shit, all of Western yep. culture. Yeah, and due to new, due to these new influences in 1974, charismatic preaching was becoming uh, uh, more popular. It was seeing a, a bump in popularity, yeah. um, and that leads us to this to the case that we're covering this in the small town of Osset in West Yorkshire, England. It's a quiet, sleepy market town with a modest population of around 21,000, um, and it's one of the last places where you'd expect a sensational, bloody, horrific murder as well as alleged demonic possession. Um, and an exorcism to take place, but not really because the devil is everywhere. Of course, yeah. Actually, we have tons of small town, small town killers. I mean, look at Ed Gein. Look at the shit he did in that little town in Wisconsin. Like everybody yeah. knew him. Yeah, it don't matter the size of your town. I think a lot of. I time, almost feel like you're more likely to have the demonic possession and the exorcisms and stuff go on in a small town because they're just bored. Well, <laughs> you know I mean? like, in a big city, there's too much going on to be focusing on one person's demons. Well, and and if and if the ones you do have in the big city, they just don't make the news like the small towns because the small town that is the news. You know what I'm right. saying? Like that is the only thing that's going on. They don't have mm-hmm. you know in a big city like New York or Chicago. You think of all the Catholic churches they have on every single corner, man, out there. Oh, it, that shit's happening out there too. It's just, you just don't hear yeah. about it because it's not news. Like you say, there's other shit going on. Yeah. So within that small town of Osset in England, uh, lived the Taylor family. Um, the Taylor family called the Osset district of Havercroft, their home in 1974. Their family consisted of a 31 year old, uh, patriarch named Michael Taylor, mm-hmm. his wife, Christine, and their five children, also a family dog. Um, Michael was born September 21st, 1944, and shares a birthday with Stephen King, Bill Murray, and Alfonso Ribeiro. Wow. What a crew. Stephen King. It's a very Stephen King-esque story here. Oh, you know? I know. That's what I was just thinking. I was just thinking that. It's kind of yeah. perfect. Yeah. I could then see Bill Murray in here, too. And then you got, of course, Carlton. <laughs> of course, Carlton. How could we not have Carlton with us? <laughs> of course. Alfonso yeah. Ribeiro, man. I, I, you know what? I, I, I've grown to love him because we, uh, as a family, we sit down and watch Funniest Videos every week. It's one one of the shows that you know my whole family can sit down and he's really a great enjoy. Host. I have a three and a five year old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's 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 definitely a great host. And rest in, rest in peace to the original host, um, oh, yeah. uh, Bob Saget. So Bob it was Saget. kind of a bummer to see that he passed away. 
That's right. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I thought it was like one of those. Uh, I thought it was like a spoof. It was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I feel like Bob Saget's one of those celebrities that people have been saying. They would never dead. die, right? He seemed like he would just go on forever. He well, was like everybody's best friend. Well, not only that, but he had, I feel like he's had quite a few fake deaths. You know how people be doing that? People mm-hmm. on the internet. I feel like years ago, for some reason, may- maybe I'm mixing him up with another celebrity, but I feel like there's been a couple Bob Saget fake deaths. And so I thought mm-hmm. maybe this was just another one, especially since people were dying and he, he doesn't seem that old to me. Um, yeah, he's not. I mean, he's he not old enough to be right? dying yet, for sure. What, no. what, was he in his early 60s? I would I would say he's probably in his mid to late 50s. I'm not sure, but that would oh, be Oh, wow, guess. that's it? Oh, wow. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe early to mid 60s. I don't yeah. know. He's been around a long time when you think about it. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck, he was the host of the funniest videos in the early 90s. Full House, like, dude. 30 years ago. Danny Tanner. Yeah, Full House as well. Classic. Yeah. Granted, he was a young man then, so I, I bet he was early 60s. But yeah, rest in peace. It sucks. Like, People were like, man, I was just at his show that night. You know, he was at the hotel room after the show. He's been posting on social media and stuff, and all of a sudden he's just gone. It's crazy. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know he was still doing stand up. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Man, rest in peace. Yeah. Damn. Bummer. So back to uh, the Taylor family. Uh, we mentioned Michael, the father, mm-hmm. um, and they had five children. Those children were all boys, all aged between six and twelve. Okay. Man, what you wonder? Do they keep? Do they just keep trying for a girl? They can get sucked into that trap. <laughs> Sounds like it, don't it? I mean, six to twelve. But after that's five, you just realize years. it's not going to happen. Yeah, you had five boys in six years. That's crazy, right? My goodness, uh, that house must be like freaking WWE in there. Ser- <laughs> Seriously, so, by all accounts, they had a happy family. Um, they were in a most cheerful and happy, and uh, by, by you know, this is noted by friends and neighbors. And Michael, in particularly, was in particular was described by all who knew him as mild mannered and generally kind and a loving father and husband. Neighbors would talk about walking walking in front of the house, like walking their dogs, and you would hear Michael busting jokes and laughing inside. Um, hmm. it, okay, yeah, so was everything a, was going well. Yeah, everything was was good. And of course, an event happens though, which kind of changes Michael. Um, mm-hmm. get to that in a minute. They but they were by no means wealthy, but they had gotten by reasonably well until early, early nineteen seventy four when Michael developed back problems that uh, prevented him from working. He had been on a roof. I, you know, I've heard mixed, uh, mixed stories on this. I, I think maybe right. he worked, you know, his job entailed him being on roof, people's roofs, maybe some sort of a repairman, handyman, roofer, something like that. Mm-hmm. Fell off a roof, suffered a bad back injury, and was in, had chronic pain, basically, after that. And it changed his personality quite a bit. Um, now, oh, I've also shit. heard yeah, that he Yeah, because he could have hit his home. head. Yeah, he also could have hit his head for sure. Most likely, because we hear about these all the time, man, with these these bad head injuries, and then it results in a personality change mm-hmm. for the rest of their life. It's yeah, weird, right? It's crazy. like a roll of the dice when you get a bad head injury. Sometimes people become ultra successful after they have a bad head injury. It's weird, like they get yeah. the better side of the personality comes out. They're like yeah. fun and like spontaneous, and yeah, other people, they're more they impulsive, get angry all the time, and depressed, and it's, it's weird. The brain is very fickle and complicated. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We have no idea what's going on up there. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, the fact that Michael couldn't work anymore put financial strain on the Taylors. Um, and he started having sporadic uh, behavior as well as his employment um, inconsistencies uh, seemed to have led to a period of depression for Michael. Um, he had gotten a job as a butcher, um, and, which is weird because it's a skill he would later use in a less traditional way uh, later in the mm. story. Uh, yeah. You can imagine. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Although they lived within a few miles of multiple churches, the, the Taylors never really found the time to attend church. And this was in a highly religious town. Um, Osset was, was a very religious town. Everybody went to church and it was a frowned upon uh, thing for a family not to attend church. Um, so when Michael was going through a hard time, a friend of his decided to uh, convince him to start going to a weekly prayer meeting. Um, this family friend managed mm-hmm. to persuade the Taylors to attend his fellowship meeting by assuring them that the fellowship's gatherings deferred considerably, uh, differed considerably from the stuffy, boring services off, uh, offered by traditional churches. So this is a, yeah. a different. This is a different vibe. It's more fun. You'll like uh-huh. it. Is what his friends telling him? Right, right. It's it's more fun. It's more intense. It's exciting, um, but it's also more supernatural and mm-hmm. more involved. And um, yeah, this is what we would call, I think, in the states as a like a Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. a charismatic Pentecostal, where you know there's there's running around, there's screaming, there's jumping over pews, there there might be snake handling, there's flag Maybe some waving, speaking in tongues a little bit. There's definitely speaking in tongues. Multiple <laughs> people speaking in tongues. Uh, you can't understand shit. Right. Um, I've been to these churches. I've been to them. And it's like, even if you're on the outside looking around, it's like something kind of wants to take you over. Like you feel it, but yeah. I don't, I don't think it's, it's not, not really anything spiritual. It's the same to me. It feels like the exact same thing as being at a concert where everybody is vibing. Everybody mm. feels the same thing. Maybe it's a song that everybody knows and you feel like you're part of a big big spiritual thing that's going on mm-hmm. because you're all connected and on the same page. And these charismatic churches, they take that and times it by like a hundred, right? And then you also have people all around you and they're praying for you and they're hollering and it's just, it's insane. But it's I can obviously see how someone would get caught up in it, especially if you're at the end of your rope. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this power, you want to believe in it. You're like this power, If I just if I just speak, if I just believe it, then this shit could take me over and change my whole life. And with the way that people are acting around you when you have, you know, 50 to 100 people all quote unquote feeling this spirit and being consumed by it, you're like, how could this not be real? Exactly. All these people feel it? All of these people? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you almost think something's wrong with you if you don't feel it. It reminds you a lot of Jim Jones's churches back in the day. Absol- Jim Jones would the absolutely be considered a Pentecostal church. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he, but he also had some uh, trickery involved, you know, bringing in the what did he bring in like chicken hearts and try to act like he was removing cancer from people and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, they do the healing stuff too. There was yeah. a lot of a miracle healing, I'm sure, going on at this church as well. Yeah. So the charismatic Christians to whom his friend uh, was referring to focused heavily on the more supernatural aspects of the Bible. They believed in and practiced faith healing. They sang up upbeat Christian music as opposed to droning church hymns. And they felt <laughs> that their gatherings were generally more energetic and exciting to those uh, of the other Christian organizations. So the Taylors mm-hmm. agreed to visit the Christian, uh, the Charismatic Christian Fellowship, where Michael Taylor, for the first time, met a woman that would change his life, Marie Robinson. Uh, Marie mm-hmm. Robinson was an engaging and charismatic 22-year-old woman who was the unofficial leader of the fellowship. Um, she, she was a pretty young woman. Um, yes, she and was. Had, had that thing about her, man. She could have been a cult leader herself, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, she is. You have a picture of her here in the timeline, guys. Yeah. Definitely check, I mean, and we'll link it. But yeah, she's she's a very beautiful person. You could tell her smile is very attractive. It's very alluring. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's. I'm sure she was an amazing leader in this church. Perfect type of person you'd want up front. Yep. And Michael became immediately enamored with her. 
At first, he just threw himself into the prayer group, going to every meeting and all functions they held. And it seemed as though it just this place made him forget about all his problems. He didn't feel his pain, his chronic pain anymore. Um, mm-hmm. He, you know, f- would forget about the fact that he couldn't find work and things like that. And it's just when he was there, he felt good. That's all he knew, and that's why he wanted to spend every moment he could at this prayer group um, in the presence right. uh, of this young R- Marie Robinson. And a part of it right. could just be his infatuation with her as well. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. And also the peace of mind. You know what I mean? Everyone's telling him here that he's a child of God. Things are going to get better. And then in the real world, he's he's hurt. He ain't mm-hmm. making any money. His family's getting poorer. Yep. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. But here in the church, it's None not your matters. fault. It's not your fault. It, it's, it's the devil. It's the yep. devil working against you. Yeah. So of course you'd want to be in that comfort where everyone is, is, is patting you on the back and feeding to your emotions. Absolutely. So Michael quickly fell deeper into Marie's teachings, attending meetings where group members were exercised and demons were cast out into what they called, quote, the power of God. Michael quickly and somewhat suspiciously developed the ability to speak in tongues, much to the chagrin of his wife. <laughs> uh-huh. Can you imagine you've been with someone for a long time, you've had five kids with them, and all of a sudden they're just speaking tongues. You're like, where the fuck, it, where did this come from? Exactly, exactly. Uh, Michael <laughs> and Marie also well. began spending an inordinate inordinate amount of time in each other's company, which started making Michael's wife understandably jealous as well. Um, Makes sense. Marie began offering private meetings to Michael. During these meetings, Michael and Marie would sit across from each other and make the sign of the cross over and over, sometimes for eight plus hours. Jesus. <laughs> That's commitment, man. See, eight hours? Though? What's crazy is he was getting, his condition was getting worse though, when you really think about it, like to the point where he ends up having to have an exorcism, you know? Right. Of so, course, because these these things inside him now have a name. Yeah. And now that's that's feeding that's feeding this inside his brain. Not only are they real, the feelings that he's feeling, but now they have a name and he has a reason to be acting crazy like he's acting. Mhm. You just you've just justified it to him. Yeah. To his subconscious brain. So, they believed that by, you know, sitting and doing the, the sign of the cross over and over for 8 plus hours that by doing this they would nullify the evil power of the full moon. To the other members mm-hmm. of the prayer group, it was clear that Michael had fallen head over heels in love with Marie, and that was his real reasoning for going through with all this. Right, right. Um, at one You're point... You're always... You can't help but be suspicious like of people who come to church one time, and then they're like full in. Yeah. It's like you can't help but be suspicious. It's even if you are a believer, even if you have been in this congregation for a long period of time, like all these other people who are in the prayer group, they they realize that right away because they're like, nobody comes in as with no religious background and then just does Hail Marys for eight hours. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. come on. And then you're speaking in tongues already with the rest of us? Like, right. you don't, there's obviously another motive here. Yeah. There, there just has to be. Yeah. Hmm. At one point, Marie even spent the night with Michael in the Taylor home to help him remedy his fear of the moon. Mm, what what a saint she is. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, Michael's wife's being quite patient here. To the, to oh my God, that, right? You know? Oh God, I know. I don't know how that I don't know how that worked out. I don't know. Did she sleep on the couch? She's like, Michael, like, you were never fucking afraid of the moon for the first 20 years we were together. And all of a sudden, this, yeah, what the this fuck comes is this afraid of the moon? She's got to spend the night with you so you can get through it. <laughs> Yeah, what am I, chop liver? What, right. what what the fuck? Yeah, right. I can help you, your fear of the moon, too. Mm-hmm. So Michael's mental state seemed to degrade rapidly after meeting Marie. Um, his wife, Christine, became vocally concerned about the amount of time that her husband was spending with this attractive 22-year-old blonde, and during the one of the fellowship meetings, she publicly accused Michael and Marie of having a sexual relationship. Uh-oh. Oh, that makes things awkward. This is getting juicy. 
Yeah, it is. So what's crazy is the reaction that he has is, is not what you'd expect. So during his wife's public accusation of Michael, Michael is reported to have felt, quote, an evil influence cast a shadow over him, and he completely comp- uh, and completely compelled by this force, vented a sudden fury on, surprisingly, not Christine, his wife, but Marie. He lashed out, her, out at her verbally and physically to the point that the other... Uh, the other churchgoers in the congregation had to physically restrain him, tackling him to the floor, fearing that he would ser- mm. seriously hurt himself or someone else. Well, that so. proves it right there that he was in love with Marie. Yes. Because why else would you blame Marie for everything? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he really was. The, the wife definitely hit a nerve right there. Yeah. And this is Marie, Marie. Marie has a quote about this moment. She says, quote, I suddenly glanced at Mike and his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Michael also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death and I seemed to come to my sentence, my senses. I knew that the only the name of Jesus would save me and I started saying over and over again, Jesus, when Chris, uh, Christine heard me calling uh, on the name of Jesus, she started saying it too. And I firmly believe that uh, it was only calling on his name that I was not killed. So she believes that, you know, screaming out Jesus is the only thing that stopped mm-hmm. him from killing her that day. Well, I'm sure it had nothing to do with the room full of strangers as well. Yeah, the room full of people that tackled him to the ground and held him down. <laughs> right? Yeah, seriously. That probably had a little something to do with it. Yeah. Uh, Michael, however, claimed that he had no memory of this happening. And then at, at the next mm-hmm. meeting, he would receive full ap- uh, absolution from Marie. So if she was Oh, my it. God. She loved this drama. Yeah, of course. She loved it. You could, you just know. Well, like she, yeah, she, she, She's getting it, off on it. She, they're screaming at each other in tongues. Like, this is like ultimate conviction yeah. for she's like, like the rest of the group you know like she's this like this is, is what real. i've been training for yes. <laughs> right, right. yeah it's Bowl. exciting to her but she also feels like it's the devil she has an excuse she's like oh that's not mike when he's screaming at me like that that's not him <laughs> right you know that's just the devil taking over him so you know you have to have patience with the real person inside you know it, it's kind of scary to, to think about what might have happened had you know michael not been with christine and actually like started a real relationship with marie I don't know if she was interested or not, but like they'd be a scary couple. Oh God! They get into yeah, a fight over the dishes, like and they cult. just started. They start going into tongues and <laughs> floating over each other. Right, they're just doing hail marys the whole time. <laughs> just, just the cross over. Yeah. That's how they fight right. until one of them gets tired and passes out, hissing at each other and spitting and <laughs> throwing holy water. Yeah, get back, get back. <laughs> <laughs> that's not holy water that's I'm dirty sorry. dish water because you haven't done the dishes <laughs> and it's burning my eyes because it has dawn in it asshole <laughs> right uh, yeah um, so according to Marie Robinson her relationship with Michael was not sexual in nature although everyone was speculating about that she did say at one point that Michael had attempted to kiss her and that she had rejected him which sent him into another rage Mm-hmm. Um, but it soon became apparent that Michael's out-of-character behavior seemed to now be permanent, and it was, in fact, getting worse as time went on. At one point, does his wife say, you know what, I don't think this church is good for you. It's making you far worse. Let's get the hell out of right? here. Instead, they, they, they double down, and they decide that it was time for an exorcism. Unfortunately, that's usually how it goes yeah. in religious factions. It's like when stuff starts to, when people start to doubt, and when stuff starts to come up like, hey, man, maybe this ain't working, they just double down. Mm. Just, well, you're not believing hard enough. You right. don't have enough faith. It's because the devil's sure all within this you, stuff and we was, must eradicate it. Exactly. That's what's being told to Michael right now. I guarantee is they're telling him, like, you don't, you don't have enough faith. You're being distracted. The devil is growing in you. And if you don't do something now, he's going to take you over. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So the seriousness and frightening condition that Michael was in was so severe that several local ministers became involved and came to the realization that Michael might be under the influence of demonic forces. This is when a local vicar uh, came to the conclusion that an exorcism should be performed on Michael. And so strap in because shit's about to get even crazier. Yeah, it is. So two ministers by the name of Father Peter Vincent and the Reverend Raymond Smith were brought in to carry out the exorcism. The exorcism was set to happen midnight on on the 5th of October, 1974 at the St. Thomas Church in Barnsley. That night, in front of the congregation of the Christian Fellowship Group, the two ministers began the harrowing ritual, which would prove to last throughout the night and well into the next morning. As soon as the exorcism had started, Michael went into uncontrollable convulsions and fits and bouts of scratching, spitting, and biting, requiring him to be forcefully tied to the floor. So everything you'd expect out of an exorcism going on here. Yep. And I'm um, sure, and, and I'm the, sure he's seen video of exorcisms. He's been learning about. I'm sure, exorcisms. he's seen the movie The Exorcism. He at knows this point. It was exactly. just a year prior. He knows how. And I'm to using, act. I'm using quotes here. How the devil affects the human body. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. he knows. So you have to consider yeah. that as well. And not only that, he's been in this church every every day, absorbing this type of information, being around this mm-hmm. type of of spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. So. So you're saying he's faking it? Is that what you're saying? Uh, somewhat, yeah, yeah, I think so. Or, <laughs> or he's just getting caught up in it. You know, people all yeah. around him. The way that there's like I said, there's a hypnotic effect. It, there think, is. You know, there's a chaotic in a at this point. There's a chaos mm-hmm. too, man. Like I say, your your blood is pumping, your adrenaline's pumping, your mind is going a million million miles a minute. Everybody around you is is saying gibberish. You don't know what the hell they're mm-hmm. saying. Everybody, they're throwing water on you. They're 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 pushing crosses in your face. Like, how would you act? You got people trying to hold your arms. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like this is a natural reaction to someone who is pushed to this limit, especially when they're already in a in a down or depressed state in their life. Yeah. Yeah. So over the next eight hours, Michael was subjected to all sorts of indignities, such as having crucifix shoved in his mouth and being doused with holy water. All throughout, he was growling and snapping at anyone who came near him. The priests in charge of the exorcism claimed that the ceremony had managed to ascertain that there were about 40 demons inhabiting inhabiting Michael's body, representing such traits as incest, bestiality, blasphemy, lewdness, heresy, masochism, and carnal knowledge. (laughs) How the hell did they figure out 40? What did they do? Do a roll call? Uh, incest. Incest here? (laughs) Yes, I am here. Do you want to fuck your sister, Michael? (laughs) Uh, We have incest, people. (laughs) Do you have any bestiality present? Yes! What a fuck, goats! <laughs> like, okay, well, we can Bring go a ahead, dog in here right now. And, I'll right, do him. Go ahead and mark that one off, okay? Yeah. Yeah, we got about 40 here. <laughs> Where do you guys want to start? <laughs> Let's start with lewdness. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, right. Let's, what the fuck? Let's start with heresy right. or carnal knowledge <laughs> rather than murder. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I said, man, you really got to prioritize these demons, man. Some mm-hmm. of them are a little more dangerous to the public than others. Right. Come on, guys. Get it right. If you know what they are, then prioritize them. Yeah. I, I would definitely argue that murder is a little more dangerous to the public than incest is. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. To the public as a whole, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So as one can imagine, these alleged demons did not go easily from Michael, each one having to be reportedly dragged out, kicking and screaming. After eight hours of this, by 8 a.m. October 6, 1974, the priest carrying out the exorcism could no longer continue through exhaustion. <laughs> So they take <laughs> those they demons take are a heavy, really bro. unfortunate break. I, I'm sorry, this part is just almost unbelievable to me. Like it's, almost, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> 
I know, I know. But but it's it's so, it's true though. All this shit really happened. Yeah. And if they believe it, yeah. then then what is it? It's real. Strangely, it was decided that the exorcism would have to be finished at a later time. So they take, you know, they take a, a halftime break, if you will. Mm-hmm. Although the priests claimed that the three demons, those of insanity, anger, and murder, were mm-hmm. still stubbornly possessing Michael and had not been successfully removed yet. So wait, maybe now that I'm thinking about this, they maybe they did prioritize those, but they were just so stubborn they wouldn't leave that they were able to eradicate all the less stubborn ones. Mm-hmm. Obviously, murder being one of the one of the hardest to rid of. Right. Um, and, yeah, so, okay, now it makes more sense. And they, they also, tried, they just couldn't get him out. Exactly. Also, and this is a great way to excuse yourself from any responsibility if this man does commit any crazy atrocities later, because you've mm. already said now, well, he does have insanity, anger, and murder still in him, but I think we can wait 24 hours <laughs> and go at it again. Right. You know what I mean? Send him home with his his wife, yeah. and everything will be okay. Yeah, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll get back at it tomorrow morning. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning. I so I said that uh, the three demons that were left in him were, you know, insanity, anger, and murder. I've also heard in another source that it was murder, madness, and violence. But what's the way, difference? Yeah, that's. I was going to say three of the the you know the demons you want least inhabiting someone. Yeah. Either either way, those are terrible ones to leave. Yeah. For sure. So Michael and Christine were told to go home and prepare for part two of the exorcism. <laughs> which is obviously a great idea. Yeah. Let's not keep him under watch. Let's just go ahead and send him out there into the public and uh, we'll, we'll rid of those, those, those evil demons later. Also, how do you prepare for an exorcism? You make no sense. You got to clean up all the, you know, the holy water and spit and whatever <laughs> shit. Rinse your mouth out with holy put water. Put down and... some new plastics and... There you uh, go. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Wash your straight uh, jacket. Really what they needed was some, what it sounds like they needed was some hydration, some sleep. They were they were exhausted um, as as I imagine. Yeah, I'm sure they were. So it was about 9:45 the next morning, October 7th. Not all, and uh, not even two hours after Michael and Christine had been sent home to rest up to prepare for the next part of the exorcism, that a police patrol car passing through a normally quiet street uh, in Osset came upon a shocking sight. Oh, here we go. Coming around a corner, the officer spotted, um, and this is Officer Ian Walker, uh, the one that we had the quote from earlier in the episode. Um, Coming around a corner, he was confronted by the sight of a man stumbling around in the middle of the street, naked and covered head to toe in blood. Mm. His blood, his body was slicked with blood, uh, stopping the car and approaching the man. A PC Walker saw the man curl into the fetal position and heard him ranting and screaming over and over, it's the blood of Satan. Wow. Um, yeah. It so, looks yeah, insane. obviously sending this man home. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is clearly Michael Taylor right. that uh, this officer had stumbled across. across. Um, <clears throat> unsurprisingly, this had attracted a, a crowd of onlookers, some of which knew the disturbed man. It was, of course, Michael Taylor, and the police officers who approached him uh, immediately called for an ambulance, fearing that Michael had hurt himself or someone else, and tried his tried their best to talk and calm Michael, who was still screaming and senseless, uh, ranting on about Satan. He continued screaming as the ambulance from the local hospital arrived and he was placed in it and taken away. The crowd of onlookers who crowded around the ambulance now told the police that the deranged maniac was Michael Taylor and gave the ad- officer his address to which the officer headed in the direction of. Oh, no. For sure, like, you're you're driving that way like, oh, boy, what am I about to find? This oh, you have to. Be good. Yeah, you have to. Your heart sank just knowing that he's just right down the road. Mm-hmm. So Officer Ian Walker, upon arrival at the Taylor house, was surprised to see that there was already a police car uh, at the premises. Um, and he later found out it'd be it, it, the police had been called because frightened neighbors had heard a commotion um, at the Taylor home and mm-hmm. had called the police. Um, 
As Officer Walker approached the house, he was stopped by the sight of an inspector emerging from the front door, bending over and vomiting. Oh, quote, that ain't You don't good. want to see this. Yeah. Quote from the officer that was vomiting had then come out of the Taylor home. He says, you don't want to see this, son. I've seen nothing like it before, and I've seen a few. It's the wife. She's got no. She's ripped at her son. Uh, it's a right mess in there. There's not much left of her. You don't want to see it, uh, see it, eh? Mm. Sorry, it's some British slang in there. Yeah. So. yeah. He, and, off, and also, the <laughs> it's officer... It's a right mess in there. Um, also, rightfully so, he shook up. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, for sure. <clears throat> and he yeah. just got done vomiting. Like, he, he's not really worried too much if he's making sense. He's just trying to tell him there's a fucked up scene in there, which rightfully mm-hmm. so. Mm. Now, um, the officer, Officer Walker... Uh, didn't listen to the the inspector's advice and entered the house. And upon entering it, he was met with so, what some would call later the worst crime scene they'd ever worked. Michael had brutally attacked Christine, removing her eyes and tongue before ripping her face off of her skull. Jesus. There was no murder weapon involved. He had gouged out her eyes and ripped out her tongue with his bare hands, tearing the rest of her face down to the bone, so much so that she was left unrecognizable. He then strangled the family dog, and after the dog was dead, he ripped out its eyes and tore it limb from limb, throwing them around the house. Jesus. The house was covered wall to ceiling in blood, mm. and all done with his bare hands, and apparently, oh. you know, those demons that had not been exercised mm-hmm. got to work quickly after leaving that exorcism, knowing that part two was, maybe the demons knew part two was coming, and they had to get, they had to get their work done quick. Maybe. Or maybe that was just the confirmation he needed that he was going to kill somebody. You know, you sent the man mm-hmm. home and you're like, listen, now you still got murder insanity and, and, and yeah, craziness right? in there. So so just try to be calm. Try not to get frustrated. Maybe you don't tell him that. Right? And you know they did. You know that's all. The- oh, for sure. God. Yeah. It just, it's just a damn good thing that the, the kids were all away. They weren't home at this time. because I was going to ask you about that, where the victim. kids were. At this time, yeah, um, yeah, they were not home. I don't know where God. they were. They may have been one of uh, one of Michael or Christine's parents' homes at their grandparents. Well, I'm sure Christine, like that, but Christine had had the the intelligence to get probably the had kids arrangements right house. for the kids yeah. to be watched over while they were doing a fucking exorcism of the right. father. They're like, either way, your dad is not himself right now. So yeah, maybe we should get you guys good to call, a safe Christine. Place. Absolutely, absolutely, nice call. Yeah, unfortunately for her, she could, didn't go with save him. her. Yeah. So Michael was taken into police custody from the hospital and interviewed some hours later when he told Detective Inspector Brian Smith about the exorcism that had occurred only hours before. He said, quote, it was a long night. They danced around me and burned my cross because that was tainted with evil. They had me in the church all night. Look at my hands. I was banging on the floor. The power was in me. I couldn't get rid of it. Neither could they. They were too late. I was compelled by a force within me to destroy every living thing within the house. So once again, good thing his sons weren't there because mm-hmm. they would fall under that uh, blanket of living things in the house. And also, if these Although, demons are so like crazy and maniacal, why did they just kill people in your house? Why didn't you kill people in the street? Like, why didn't you go up right. to? You know what I mean? I, I don't know, mm-hmm. man. It just sounds so so sus that you only killed your wife, but so you're convenient, like, right? You're this, ra- especially when you're in love with. Uh, your love with the other the woman at the church. Yeah, as well. yeah. You're a crazed maniac, and you only kill your wife. Maybe in his mind, he's like, okay, I was told I still have the the murder demon and the madness, and that this is my excuse to kill my wife. And then I, you know, those are those demons are exercised, and I'm good again, and then I get to be with uh, my true love here. Oh God, <sighs> unfortunate. That that could have been in there. You know, mm-hmm. we'd be stupid 
to not think that that was in there somewhere. Yeah. So although Michael claimed he could remember nothing of the actual murder, claiming to deeply love his wife, when asked by uh, Detective Smith how he felt, Michael replied, released. I am released. It is done. The evil in her has been destroyed. The evil in her? Right. Now you're blaming your wife. Oh, my saying God. It was, it was her fault. And also, what, what evil was in the poor dog? You know, that you also have to wonder that. Yeah. What did this poor real. dog do? Yeah. What did your dog, dog was do, possessed as well? Is this like uh, Harvey from Son of Sam? Or maybe the dog came to her rescue. You know, because the, the dogs can tell if, whether he's out of, whether he's possessed or out of it. Either way, the dog knew he wasn't himself. So maybe the mm-hmm. dog tried to attack him as well. And he beat the fuck out of it, apparently. Mm hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. So although he appeared to have no motive for his actions, Michael Taylor was charged with the murder of Christine Taylor and was remanded to Broadmoor Secure Hospital to in Berkshire uh, to await trial. And of course, this crime was in, since, was a sensation and uh, it created a media frenzy and the bloody crime and alleged demonic possession drew huge amounts of interest to Michael Taylor's upcoming trial. So it becomes a, you know, a big circus. Um, and with Michael Taylor's trial beginning in March of 1975, uh, upon its commencement, the jury were advised that the evidence they were about to hear, quote, will make it difficult to believe that you are not back in the Middle Ages. And I guess it's a fair warning to the jury for sure for what they were about to read and hear and see during oh, yeah. that trial. Absolutely. <clears throat> Neither prosecution nor defense denied at the trial that Michael Taylor had severe mental issues. Michael himself testified, again claiming that he had no recollection of the actual killing that he had deeply loved his wife and been under the control of evil supernatural forces and that he had suspected Christine had also been possessed by demons. He offered no other explanation. And the linchpin of his defense was the discrediting of the Christian fellowship group and the angelic, the Angelican and Methodist priests who had carried out the exorcism. So Michael's defense turned their targets at the church and at the exorcism and the priests that performed it and basically blamed them for Christine's murder. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Mr. Ognell, uh, for the defense, claimed that the Christian Fellowship Prayer Group was actually more of a fanatical cult and had managed to influence Michael by using potent mind control and indoctrination, feeding his already existing mental issues. At one point, he described the group as, quote, neurotics feeding neurosis to a neurotic. And, you know, they're not I Honestly, they're not can't wrong. help but agree with, I can't help but with agree with I them, know. right? I know, I agree. A hundred, a hundred. Like they were feeding this beast. They were, they were, they really pushed him. Not necessarily to do exactly what he did, but I mean, it's not surprising the outcome when you think about what they were doing. Yeah. It's so often that the defense's explanation, you're like, oh, come on. Like, that's some bullshit. But in this, in this instance, um, yeah, I I agree with this. I agree with this a hundred percent. Like, I don't think he goes to this extent, uh, this far without ever attending this church. Right. It's almost like when you hear about these federal agencies that like, they, they find a fanatical on the internet and then they start like catfishing them and then they set everything up. They like create a bomb and like they all but hand them the, the, the switch and go here, you push that button and you'll blow up this building. And then the person pushes it and it's fake. And then they, they arrest them. It's almost like, it's pretty similar to that. Yeah. And it's like, you really all but put the knife in the guy's hands. Not that he used a knife, but, uh, you know, you, you gave him a reason. You made him, you gave him, you helped to create this monster. You really did. Yep. Um, so blame was also appointed to the exorcism itself. The prosecution claimed that the ritual had taken its toll on an already mentally disturbed man and coupled with the warped religious ideals and beliefs that the prayer group had instilled in him. These negative influences had pushed Michael over the edge into a realm of madness and murder. 
Mr. Ognell made an impassioned personal statement during the trial that illustrated just how much responsibility the church was viewed to have held during this crime, saying, quote, We submit that Michael Taylor is a mere cipher. The real guilt lies elsewhere. Religion is the key. Those who have been referred to in evidence and those clerics in particular Clerics in particular should be within him in spirit now in this building, and each day he is incarcerated in, Bar- in Broadmoor, and not least on the day he most endure the bitter reunion with his five motherless children. Mm. Jesus. Ouch. And <clears throat> pretty hard. At, at the trial's conclusion, the jury would find Michael Taylor not guilty of murder uh, for the murder of his wife by reason of insanity. Wow. Not sure how I feel about it. Well... I mean, judging by his actions, judging by the way the murder was committed, I would definitely say he was insane. Because yes. if you're not insane, you don't kill your wife with your bare hands, rip her apart, and then go lay in fetal position in the middle of the street. Like mm-hmm. that, unless he's really trying to sell this insanity thing like we talked about before. Maybe this just gave him an out. This gave him an explanation to get rid of his wife. And he was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I got to go full-fledged. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just See, it's crazy that he's quote unquote healed after his wife is killed. What? Yeah, I'm honestly I'm not okay with him ever being like free, which he was free almost immediately. Like he's been a free man for thirty years to forty years plus. Right. Um, spoiler, but yeah, like <laughs> he's out there. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the murder charge. I, I honestly, I'm okay, I'm almost okay with him not being like being charged with like you know, involuntary manslaughter and then being sentenced to the mental institution for the rest of his life. But the idea that this man walking the streets is, it's terrifying. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because if he was able to go off the deep end that quick, he could do it again. Yeah. He could absolutely do it again. So deemed to be both clinically and legally insane, he was sent to Broadmoor Secure Hospital where he would remain for two whopping years, followed by another two-year sentence at Bradford Royal Infirmary before being released back into the world, apparently cured. So four years uh, for ripping his wife apart with his bare hands as well as his dog and throwing it limb for limb around the home. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But he got those demons out when he did that, I guess. So he's really kind of a safe person to have around. Yeah, there you go. Good with the bad. Way to look on the bright side. Mm-hmm. So the aftermath of the trial was a public public outcry over the use of exorcisms within the church and indeed became the, the last recorded exorcism to be carried out by the Angelican church. Not the last to be carried out by any means around the world, but uh, by that particular church. Right, right. Supposedly. I mean, what they do behind closed doors at night, who knows? But, uh, you know, as far as their public image goes. I doubt know, they I doubt they stopped doing that shit just because right? of this. Come Me too. On. Me too. I just hope they're more cautious now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe take, maybe look into your, uh, your, your victim, the person who is possessed, quote unquote. Maybe look into them a little closer next time. Mm-hmm. Maybe stay with them a little bit longer. Make sure they have people with them to watch over them during this healing process. If that's what you're gonna do. Yeah. I honestly, I think they probably just didn't want to take responsibility for anything else. They were like, "Whoa, we were too close to being responsible for this murder. We don't want to touch this shit anymore. At least not in the public eye." Right. What's different is we. What's interesting is we have a totally different outlook uh, between the two priests that carried out this uh, exorcism. Throughout the trial and the years following it, the chief Angelican priest who had been in charge of Michael's exorcism, Father Peter Vincent, continued to insist that Michael Taylor had indeed been inhabited by demons, and that the Osset case had been in, uh, had indeed been an authentic case of demonic possession. 
Father Vincent's career in the church was unaffected following the case. He would only simply say, God will bring out good in his own way. Mm. Okay. And it was it was only Peter Vincent's partner in exorcism, the Reverend Raymond Smith, that seemed to, to admit that the situation had not been handled well and that the exorcism had indeed failed. He was quoted as saying, if people come to me in trouble of any kind, I will try to help. I would give such comfort as I could, but I am only an ordinary human being with human feelings or human failings. Right. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of had different outlooks on how that thing went uh, between the two priests. Right, right, right. Um, so after his release from the hospital, it's reported that Michael Taylor went back to live in Osset, um, and he would continue to display odd behavior and suffer bouts of depression, as well as making a total of four suicide attempts over the following years, still haunted by his, his actions that October morning. God, He's involved cutting his back to Osset. I know, right? Do you think, you think he went God. back to the same house? Dude, there's no way. No way. I mean, right? but even just that, I would hope that house had been seized or something. Dude, that. that's just too small. Burned a town. to the ground. Fucking bulldoze that thing seriously that's too small of a town man to go back to after what you did like regardless whether you were insane a mental break or whatever you want to call it like a murder like that that's just that's i would go in i would change my fucking name i'd go live thousands of miles away i don't know mm-hmm. i just i would not go back to that place i don't know how would you'd want to be reminded well, imagine having a family there and you see this dude wandering around you see him at the grocery store knowing what he had done but you know what i bet his boys stayed in osset yeah. That's probably why. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. So his his suicide attempts involved cutting his wrists and jumping from a bridge in which he badly injured his back and legs, his back even more injured following this. Right. Surprisingly, for such a sensational and chilling crime, he dropped out of the news and the public eye for many years. But Michael Taylor would uh, enter the news again in July 2005 when he was arrested for sexually harassing and having inappropriate conduct with an eight, underage girl. During his court hearing on these charges, he was he was uh, said to have told police that it was all his fault and then said, quote, am I going to Broadmoor for murdering, murdering my wife? Okay. Apparently doesn't know the double jeopardy law. He was already found not guilty for that. Can't right. go to jail for that again. Or maybe he regressed. Maybe, you know, mentally, like because of the traumatic experience of murdering his wife and how he tried to push that down. And then now he's in mm-hmm. trouble again. So like maybe his brain is like regressing mm-hmm. and he thinks that like, oh, Oh no, they're going to get me for murdering my wife. He's done forgot about all of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. You know, when people go through a traumatic experience and then when they go through therapy or they're being talked about that again, they have like the same physical reactions. It's like their brain as a defense mechanism puts them right back where they were. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that has a little bit to do with that. I don't know. Maybe. Um, as it was, he had spent a week in custody over the sexual assaults and during the incarceration, the psychiatric, psychiatric problems that had existed in 1975 had manifested themselves once again upon being bailed. However, they disappeared supposedly, mm-hmm. um, for the harassment, uh, charge, Michael received a three-year stint in community service, but with a condition of psychiatric treatment and now 77 years old, he's still a free man. Um, and still seems to be, uh, you know, living in Osset and, hopefully remains demon free until he meets his maker and no one else is ever harmed by his hands again. Well, demons don't want your 77 year old body anyways. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. They're going to find some, some young kid. <clears throat> Cause remember when possess. he got possessed, he was what? 31. He's in yeah. his prime. He's in his prime, man. They wanted that. They wanted that 31 year old body. That's what it was. They're gone now. Yeah, you can only make a 77-year-old so much stronger, you know, That's especially right. when he's got such a bad back. <laughs> he's got a bad back. He's he had multiple suicide attempts. Right. Yeah, he got hurt young. Of the bodies that you could inhabit, that's one of the lower right. rung, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Although his mind is pretty susceptible, apparently. So right. you know, who knows? They would be a very unsuspecting person, a seventy-seven-year-old yeah. out there causing causing chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, crazy case, dude. You know I love crazy these case. Thanks, ones, Joe, though. for the recommendation. Absolutely, absolutely appreciate it, bro. I got something I can recommend to you, and it's Oh My Gaia. How about that? There it is, baby. <laughs> Ah, I told ah. Michael I was going to let him have it this week. I wasn't even going to fight for it. <laughs> I appreciate I that. <laughs> appreciate that, guys. Listen, guys, if you're using regular old deodorant with aluminum in it, you got to switch to Oh My Gaia, guys. Do the right thing. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, you have to check it out on OhMyGaia.com. There's tons of scents to choose from. And new scents are, are being added all the time with scents like vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, bergamot amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, and so many more, guys, as well as true crime pine which was made just for true crime guys, if you could imagine. And you can get that at ohmygaia.com and get 15% off your order because you're true crime guys listeners if you use the code CREEPER. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And you can also find Oh My Gaia on Instagram at shop underscore ohmygaia. Guys, you won't regret it. Go give them a follow on Instagram. Stay up to date on all the new uh, Oh My Gaia releases and discounts and whatnot. And uh, yeah, start putting some healthy stuff in your pits, man. Start putting some healthy stuff. Wendy in your doesn't pits. mention it enough, but it is known that Oh My Gaia is is known to remove demons from your armpits. Oh, there you go. So there you go. We need we need an exorcism scent. What, what would that yes. be? That'd be like holy water and like. <laughs> like yeah, old wood or something i don't know i don't <laughs> i don't know what it would be cedar maybe <laughs> yeah cedar and holy water can we get that wendy that'd be great yes. <laughs> just splash it on you every morning and you walk around demon free you're good that's right that's right and you don't have to kill your wife with your bare hands that's right right you know come to think of it it All might right. be better in a scented oil no <laughs> beard oil there you go there you go all right i want to thank those that have gone and taken the time to rate and review the show this past week I want to say what's up to a rock or something in the United States that been listening since the Tookie Williams episode. Love y'all. It's a shame you guys are probably the most underrated podcast ever, but doing what you're doing for us creepers. Thank you very much, a rock of something. Yeah, we appreciate something. that. Sorry. Uh, what else we got here? Got some good ones. Uh, we got uh, Throw Glitter Not Shade there in the go. U.S. Gave us a four-star review. Says, I mostly dig it. Good podcast, but sometimes I have to keep hitting skip when football talk starts. Ah. It's a good moment to to mention that my 49ers just beat the Dallas Cowgirls <laughs> yesterday. Uh, is it so we're moving on to the, game, to the Packers. Dude. We're coming, Packers, and you know you don't want to see us in the playoffs because it usually doesn't go well for you. Uh-oh. We'll see what uh, happens. I got to talk some shit. I honestly think we're going to lose because I, I see like it, Aaron's I playing on another level this year. Yeah. I'm trying to jinx them right now. Aaron's right. playing on another level this year. He can't um, be We beat. may or may not have Nick Bosa. Yeah. Um, We'll see. It's going to be cold, I'm sure. Um. I yeah. don't know, man. It's going to be a good game. I'm excited. Are, uh, is it, it's in Green Bay, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's going to be tough. Yeah, they're the number one seed. They, they're they coming off a bye week. Right. Um, I, I'm a little bit concerned for them in the fact that they're, they, 
they're coming off a week where they didn't play. We're hot. We just played. Mm-hmm. And also they have so many guys coming back, which could be a good thing, but also could be a bad thing. They, they've got like six of their starting players that they haven't played for most of the season that have been injured and are coming back just for this game. And I'm like, are they ready? Like, are they going to be up to the speed of the game and all that? Like it takes a little right. bit, you know? Well, like that many guys all at once coming back, like, are they going to be on the same page? Are they going to be in shape? Are they going to be ready to play football in a cold weather game, a physical game? Right. Are their bodies going to be ready for that? Are but they you conditioned have, for that? I wonder. Well, you have to realize that they're probably not all just got ready. You know, they've probably been ready, Lauren, but since they've had this number one seed wrapped up, they're like, well, why don't we just save them for the games that really matter? In our yeah, first but how, what I'm saying is they, they're ready, quote unquote, like they're their injuries healed, but they haven't played football. And this is, this is playoff physical football in the right, cold. Right. Like they can, you don't only hit so much in practice. They, they don't really True. do much hitting in practice anymore. Like how ready are they for that? We'll see. I guess we'll find out next week. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. It's going to be so, a good one. Uh, nonetheless, thanks. Uh, thanks throw glitter, not shade. And you're welcome for ruining your review with more football talk. <laughs> That's what we do. Um, then we got uh, Chachi91 in the US says, Creeper, five stars. Love the podcast. Was looking for a new podcast to get me through my infusions. And y'all did. Thanks for the fun times, even though I'm jamming a little bit differently. Uh, LOL. Thank right, you right. very much, uh, Chachi91. Then yeah. we got uh, Tent Trinity in Australia, mate. Metamen. Down under. Five stars. Love, love, love your vibe and the overall way you've bounced off each other. Listen as much much as possible and sometimes wake at 1 to 3 a.m. on a work night, headphones in the ear and fall asleep consistently. Uh, but I wake nice. and rewind back to find where I was before I fell asleep. I do this over and over until I put my phone away and sleep properly. Cheers, mates. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We're like a, we're like a sleeping pill for a lot of people. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. That's fine. That's still Speaking plays. of that, uh, something that can help you sleep, um, we, we just... Uh, haven't necessarily inked a deal, but we've come to agreements with a CBD company, Tonic CBD. We're going to be advertising them soon. Check them out. This is just kind of a, you know, a way to let you guys know that we're going to be working with them. I've been searching. I went out mm-hmm. of my way to try and find a CBD company because I'm a firm believer in CBD and it, it helps me with, with, shout out to Michael Taylor, my chronic pain right. uh, in my neck, not my back, but uh, my, my pain in my neck and also um, I have occasional anxiety issues and CBD has helped me tremendously. So I've been searching for a high quality CBD company, reached out to Tonic CBD. They, came, they responded right away. They're sending us a package. I can't wait to try it. Right. And we will be advertising them soon. So check them out on Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, go give them a follow. That's right. Check out their products. Soon we will have the, the code word creeper to get 20% off with Tonic. I'm not sure if that's in, in action yet. So don't, don't, you know, you could try it, but yeah. don't expect it yet. But we will more on that. But upcoming. if you, if you um, do, and if you do go give them a follow, uh, leave them a comment or leave them a message. Tell them True Crime Guys. Yeah, let them know. You. Yeah, tell them yeah. where you heard about it. We appreciate that very much, guys. And if you're looking into CBD, uh, give us another week or so before you make your decision. Uh, yeah. Until we're, you know, we kind of got this deal worked out and definitely give Tonic a try. Yeah. And we'll, we'll be advertising them, I'm guessing, starting in two weeks since we have a Patreon episode next week. That's right. Yep. So that's a good time to, to segue into our Patreon. Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys. $2 a month gets you access to... Uh, all of our premium episodes that we do once a month next week will be that. Um, you can only next week's episode can only be heard on Patreon and two bucks a month gets you access to all those. If you want to get even more content, more true crime guys, $5 a month gets you access to our just the banter that we do every week. This mm-hmm. past week's episode was like an hour and 20 minutes of just us um, hanging out, me and Michael talking stuff other than true crime. People send us questions, yeah. hypotheticals, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's just more content. So, and that also gets you the the gold creep man sticker, very prestigious as well. So, that's right. Lots of content over there. Great way to start um, your weekend with JTB. 
every yeah. Friday night, man. On your way home from work, you can tune into some JTB, get your weekend started right, get some laughs. All right. This is right. So what else? Oh, and if you're, if you're already a patron of True Crime Guys, you're caught up on all that TCG stuff. Uh, also, check out our other shows, Strange and Unexplained. Uh, wherever you listen, new episodes come out every single Monday uh, where we tackle unsolved, missing persons, strange phenomena cases. Uh, you can just search True Crime Guys in your player and you can find Strange and Unexplained wherever you listen. Guys, go go. even if you haven't made it through the True Crime Guys library, uh, go go check it out. Go subscribe. Um, you know, Listen to an episode. Leave a rating on Spotify as well as for True Crime Guys. If you haven't rated on Spotify and you listen, please do. Uh, it's a great way to help the show. And just kind of spread the uh, True Crime Guys productions around, guys. We want to keep you guys entertained all week. And uh, we're damn we're damn near getting there. That's for sure. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So much content. So much content for you guys. Absolutely. All right. Anything and, else? Uh, that's it. We'll see you guys next week on Patreon only. Uh, yes. Other than that, uh, all of you freeloaders, we love y'all. See you the following week for mm-hmm. uh, you know another series of three freeloader episodes. That's right. Um, so keep creeping. See you next week. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder. Get murder. Get murder. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the Creeper Army. We out here making murder charming. You hush your mouth, boy.